This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Have you been blessed this far or thus far at GYC? Uh, I'm not convinced. Have you, have you been blessed thus far at GYC? Amen. I've been immensely blessed. It's a privilege uh, for me to be here this afternoon. Uh, have you been, how many of you have been here for at least one of the previous seminars here? Amen. Quite a few of you. And then we have a, how many of you is this the first time in the seminar? All right, amen. Praise God. We, we appreciate you coming. There's so many uh, blessed options you could go to, uh, so many choices, but we're glad that you've joined us here. Uh, the title of this seminar is Devoted to Devotions. A vibrant devotional life for the last days. And uh, how many of you think that the devotional life is important? Amen? It's an important key. It's of vital importance. And I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, my name is Wesley White. I'm a student at Souls West. And uh, finishing up there, I've been doing evangelism, been doing Bible work, things like that. And I'm just simply a student. A what? A student of the Word of God. Amen? How many of you are students of the Word of God? Amen. How many of you love to study the Word of God? I love it too. And we're going to study... This afternoon, this afternoon we're going to be studying the Word of God, looking into this topic of devoted to devotions. Uh, My title this um, afternoon for this message is Bound by Devotion. Is what? Bound by Devotions. I want you to stick very close with me as we go through this message. I believe it's the foundation of our devotional life. Uh, growing up, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I, I might share my, more of my testimony the last, the last day. But uh, growing up in the Adventist Church, I really, my, my parents always encouraged me to have devotions. Always, you know, in the morning, go and, and go to the Word of God and pray and, and spend time with God. And spend time in the Word. It, it'll change your life. Spend time in prayer. And I don't know how many of you have experienced this before, but I, I, I went to the Word of God. I, I tried to study. I tried to pray, but it, didn't, it just wasn't clicking in my mind. It was like black words on white paper. Kind of just reading something and not really understanding anything or, or having it affect your life. Have any, have, any, have any been there before? Amen? And so what I'm going to share with you is my personal uh, understanding of how God's shown me how to make a devotional life something powerful. How many of you want that? Amen. I do too. And so God, I believe, is going to bless us. I, I want you to pray for me. Amen? Amen. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been accused. <laughs> I've been accused at times of being or getting excited about the word of God. So if I get too excited, if I get too crazy, you ought to say, just calm down, Wesley, calm down. It's all right. It'll be okay. You know, I kind of think of Paul in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, you know, if I, if I appear to be out of my mind, it's for God. But if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. So uh, by God's grace, I'll be in my right mind as we go through this message uh, this evening. Uh, I want to ask you if you would please uh, pray with me as we begin the message and get into the Word of God. Dear Father in heaven, we indeed thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here at GYC, Lord. Uh, there are a lot of friends here, a lot of people that we, we, we know, familiar faces, fellowship, Lord. But our, our true goal and true desire is to know Jesus, Father. We would see Jesus. We wouldn't see our friends or our family members. We would see Jesus right now, Lord. So I pray that Weston will be put aside. And that only Christ Jesus would be seen. I pray that as we go through this message, as we go through the word of God, that we understand more deeply what devotions really is, Father. We need you, Lord. 
Do not, Lord, neglect to hear this prayer, for we know you won't. Lord, you, you answer before we even ask. Lord, we thank you for that. And we just pray you'd be here right now, not only with us, but in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> um, hopefully we'll have the... Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. Someone say hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Let's see if this works here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The Lord is good, amen? amen. The enemy's always trying to do something to, to discourage us or to get us down, but God is always with us. Amen. Bound by devotion. Now, this is going to be a simple message. I'm a simple person. How about you? <laughs> no, we don't, we don't, we don't want to admit that, but I, I am a simple person. And I believe the gospel is simple, amen? amen. And so this should be very easy for us to understand, but you're going to have to pay attention. If you, have a, if you have a notebook, I would encourage you to get a pencil out and, and take notes as we go through this message. And we're going to be talking about basically two things. What is a devotional life? Number one. And number two, what should motivate us to live a devotional life? The first thing, what is a devotional life? And I, I, I want to get your participation as we, as we go together, as we go through this, this message. So I'm hoping to hear from you as well. Amen? Can I, can I, can I get you to, to participate with me? Amen? All right, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. What is a devotional life? Can someone give me, she can shout it out. What is a devotional, when you, when you think, when, when someone says a devotional life, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Regular time with God. Commitment. Devotion to God. Pardon? Quiet time. Consecration to God. Meditation upon God's word. A relationship with God. Passion for God. That's right. Devotional life. Any, anyone else? Continual prayer. A constant abiding in prayer with Christ. Anyone else? That's good. Praise the Lord. Y'all talkative group. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see that there are all these types of different things that we, we, we view as a devotional life. And I believe we need to understand definitionally what this means. Because the way, we, the, the way that we perceive something... The way that we, that we what? Perceive something determines the quality of that thing that we're, we're perceiving. Now, that might sound confusing. Does it sound confusing or no? Does, does it make sense? The way that we perceive something affects the quality or how we relate to that thing that we are perceiving. Perception is powerful. So the way that we perceive devotional life is going to affect our devotional lives. Now, I want to give a few illustrations to, to, to show what perception really is talking about. A per, uh, perception. Think about it. Oh, actually, before we, before we go there, before we go there to perception. Because I believe that many times, I believe that many times, we don't understand fully what a devotional life is or who we are being devotional to. It's very important that we perceive who we're being devotional to, why we're being devotional. What, is this, what does this mean, perceiving that? Because I'm going to show you uh, an example in Scripture. Turn to Acts. Acts 19. And we're going to be flipping scriptures, so I hope you're, uh, you're, you brought your, you know, your fingers to turn pages. Acts chapter 17, and let's look at verse 22. Acts 17 and verse 22. This is one of the only times that the word devotion is used in the King James Version of the Bible. Um, 22, I'm um, sorry, what did, I, what did I say? Acts 17, 22. Thank you for correcting me. 
All right. Are we all there? When you get there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Aragopolis and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that ye are uh, in all things very what? Religious. For, I have, for as I was passing through and considered the objects of your what? Worship or what? Devotion. I found an altar with this inscription. And what did it say? To the unknown God. So we see that, that Paul is going through this town, he's going through Athens, and he sees all these objects of their worship, these edifices, these statues, these objects of worship or devotion. And on one of these he sees uh, an inscription saying, to the unknown God. So basically they were having worship or devoting themselves to this thing that they didn't even know what it was. And I believe many times our devotional life can be the same way when we perceive it in the wrong way. So what did Paul come here to do? He came here to show them what they should be devotional to. That longing in their hearts, they, they knew there was something out there, but they just didn't know what it was. Their, their minds couldn't fully see it. So Paul came to bring them into the light. And I believe we need to come into the light as well of what a devotional life is. Perception is powerful. Say that with me. Perception is powerful. Let me give you an illustration. Um, I was, in, in my junior year in high school, I had a really good friend. And his name was Tony. And he was a foreign exchange student from Germany. And uh, we hung out a lot. We used to go to the, you know, lunch together. And just, he'd be over at the house all the time. We played basketball together. We were on the team together and everything. And so one day, my, my parents invited him over for dinner. And, you know, we're at Adventist home or whatever. So we always have our veggie foods, right? How, how many of you like veggie foods? <laughs> Well, <laughs> so we have our veggie foods. And so my mom, you know, you have your big franks, your linkets or whatever, you know, all that stuff. But tonight, my mom, and we weren't vegetarian at the time. We, we ate meat too, but um, I'm, I'm vegetarian now. But um, at that time, we went, and, and, and then the table was spread. It looked delicious. There was the meatballs there. There was the salad. There was the other side dishes on the, on the table. And it all looked delicious. And so Tony, being a, a really big meat eater, a meat connoisseur, you might say, and he's coming, he comes into the house, and he just sits down. And he knows that I eat kind of differently, a little bit differently. Uh, at that time, I was really in rebellion, so I didn't really eat a whole lot differently <laughs> than, uh, than him. But, um, but we came down, we sat down, and we started eating. And as they began to eat, you know, he would eat the food, and we were eating, you could see on his face, oh, oh so good. And he would eat, he was eating the meatballs, right? He was eating them, eating them, eating them. He would eat a little salad, a little of the other vegetables, but eating a ton of meatballs. They had like even the sauce on them and, and these pineapples, you know, it was, oof, it was good. Man, my mom can cook. I ain't going to lie. But anyway, so he's eating this food. He's eating it up, grubbing it up. We finished eating, and we have to go to basketball practice. So we get in the car, and he's like, man, your mom can cook. That's some good stuff. Those are some good meatballs, man. I can't, I can't believe it. And she was, well, going on and on and on about these meatballs and how they were so good. And so, I mean, being the friend that I am, I had to, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> break it to him, you know. <laughs> and I told him, hey, Tony, you know that what you just ate was, was vegetarian meatballs. And you should have seen his face. Like, what? What did I just eat? What, what is that? And he, he literally rolled down the window and started spitting out the window. Like, what, what is that? What did I put in my body? What was that? Now, did the meatballs change? He saw the meatballs. He ate the meatballs. He liked the meatballs. They were good. Until what? He perceived. His perception changed. Like Paul was talking about, it's all about the mind. 
how do we perceive in the mind? Because of his perception changed, his thought toward that, that object, even though it, that object had not changed, his, his thought changed, his perception changed. Perception is powerful. Let me give you another illustration, just to make this so clear in your minds. Um, I went home uh, just a few weeks ago, actually, to my uncle's house for, a little, for the weekend. And I called my uncle up, and it's like, and going to my uncle's house is like going home, basically. I, I you know, just, you know, just go in, whatever. So I called my uncle, told him, I'm, I'm coming over at 2 o'clock. I'm spending the weekend with you guys, you know. I mean, you know, of course I asked, is, is it okay, whatever, are you guys there? And he said, sure, come by, you know, I'll leave the alarm off. I have a key already, so I, I can just, you know, use the key and get in the house. And so I figured, I called him. He knows what time I'm coming, so I'm going to go over to the house at this time. And, of course, he's, he's expecting me, right? So I go over to the house. I, I, I come in, I t- take my key and put it in the door, and I come in, and I hear that my uncle is talking loudly, They're talking super loud on the phone, and he's in the restroom. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to interrupt him, right? So I just go upstairs, and I start my laundry. You know, just, I'm at home, and do, do my thing, you know, start my laundry, praising the Lord, hallelujah. And, um, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice. Hey, that, that, that better be Wesley. And I go around the corner, and my, my uncle has a gun in his hand, and he's like, Who? oh, Wesley, it better be you. It better be you, Wesley. <laughs> My uncle's no joke, family. He's no joke. I ain't gonna lie. And so what I perceived as a, as a normal thing, I'm going to go into the house, it's going to be fine, it's going to be okay. But to him, it was like an intruder. And he, and he came to me with a, a weapon of destruction. You feel me? Because he perceived that it was something other than what it really was. Perception is powerful, amen? Perception is powerful. One more, one more illustration to, to, to bring this home. <clears throat> there was a family, a uh, wife and a husband, and they were very, uh, they, they loved to collect various works of art, like classical, uh, antique works, right? And so they, they, they had a collection or whatever, and they heard about this great piece that was over in Europe. And the husband couldn't go, so he said, hey, wife, go, and go over to the, to the, to the um, to, the, to this place, and, and I want you to purchase this. I, you know, I don't know how much it is, but I want you to take the money and go over there and try and get it. So she goes over, she's there, and, says, and, and basically the husband said, send me a telegram uh, about you know, how much it is or whatever. And so the wife gets there, she looks at the piece, it's beautiful, she loves it, she wants it, and she's like, she, sends, she gets to the telegram and sends it to her husband, the, the, what the price was. Very high price. And the husband looks at the, at the telegram, and he's like, no way. So he sent a telegram back to his wife over in, over in, um, over in, in Europe. And the telegram said, no, price too high. So it's like, no, 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 we can't do it. The price is too high. That's too much. It's too expensive. We cannot uh, acquire this. So he's kind of sad, kind of like, oh, man, I wish it wasn't that much, whatever. Um, he thinks his wife's coming home, getting a plane home. And the next, about five days later, he receives this package in the mail. And, you know, it's just fragile. and like, oh, what is this? So he opens the package and it's like, oh. The beautiful work of art. They must have gone down on the price. They must have, my, my, my wife must have, you know, haggled them down or, you know, bought them down on the price or whatever. And um, his wife gets home and, and, and he's like, well, you know, what happened? I mean, we have it now. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you said to, to get it, right, didn't you? You said, didn't you say no price too high? <laughs> you see, the power of perception. The, the little comma right there makes a big difference, doesn't it? No. No price too high. You, whatever the price is, just go ahead and get it. So she bought it, and there was disruption there. So we see with those illustrations, we see that the power of perception is very important for us to understand. And I believe the way we, we perceive devotion will have an effect upon how we read the Word of God, how we view prayer, how we even view witnessing, our whole lives in general. We must perceive our devotional life in the right way. 
This is also illustrated in the scripture. I want to go to one scripture to illustrate this as well. The walks of Emmaus. Go in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke 24. Luke 24, and we're going to look at verse 13. I love this story. Uh, if you have time later, I know we're really busy here at GYC, but go back and read this. It's powerful. Luke 24 and verse 13. When you get there, say amen. amen. <clears throat> the Bible says there, Now behold, two of them. Now, now, everyone knows what happened here, right? Christ has just been crucified. He's gone to the grave. It's the first day, and, and they're walking back from this very sad. Verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was what? Seven miles from the village. And they talked together of these things which had happened. So you can imagine them walking down the street just sad, like, man, we, man, I can't believe that Christ died. And he's in the grave, and, he, and, and, and you know, he, he didn't do what, he thought, what we thought he was going to do. Just sad. Have you ever been just sad and depressed before? Mercy. So they were sad and depressed. You can imagine what they're feeling. So it was, in verse 15, while they converse and reason that Jesus himself, what? Just a little side note. Isn't it a beautiful thing that when, when we're in, our, in despair and sorrow and sadness, that Christ draws near? Amen? In our, in our worst times, in our times of, of the least hope, when we have nothing left, Jesus right, is, is right there and he draws near to us, to be close to us, to bring us comfort. I believe that, that's beautiful. Amen? I love Jesus. How about you? Amen. So he drew near and went with them. So he didn't only draw near, but he goes with you. Amen? But their eyes were what? Restrained. So they, 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 they did not know him. And, and, and so they, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't perceive who he was. They couldn't, he was right there in their presence, but they didn't know him. If you want to know more about that, come back tomorrow morning. We're going to be talking about why they didn't understand or know him. And they couldn't see him. So they, 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 he's, not, he's right there, but they, they couldn't perceive that he was there. That it was Jesus. And he said to them, verse 17... What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And, and then the one whose name was Cleopas said, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? It's just like, Jesus, are you an alien to this place? Are you a stranger? Are you coming from some foreign land? Why, are you, how can you not know what's going on? How could you not know? So they explain it to him. They explain it to him. And they say, and he, and he said to them, what things? Like, and Jesus is like, oh, what? I don't know. <laughs> so they said to him, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, but, but we were hoping. You see, they, they, he goes over what, what, Christ, what happened to Jesus, how he died, how he was crucified. He was a good prophet. He did many great things, and we had hoped, we perceived, we had thought that he was this great person that was going to do great things. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. We had a perception in our minds that, yes, he is going to establish his earthly kingdom here. We're going to be freed from the Romans, free from the, the yoke of bondage, and we're going to be set free. They had a wrong perception of Christ's mission. And what did Christ say to them? Oh, foolish. And slow to understand all that the prophets, or slow, slow of heart. And all, to believe all the prophets have spoken. So their, their wrong perception of what Christ's mission, their wrong perception of what Christ came to do, affected their understanding of the word of God. Their understanding of scripture. 
So perception affects how we see the Word of God. Now I want to go quickly through a few of these different ways that people see devotions. Occasionally, uh, people see devotions, view devotions as, as a class. Isn't that true? Oh, man, how can I get an A in my devotions class? What do I got to do? What do, do I have to read for 20 minutes? Do I have to read for 30 minutes? Do I have to pray for an hour? How do I get a good grade in this, this, this class called devotions? Other times it's viewed as, as batting practice, you know, preparing for the real world, studying so you can have the answers to objections and, and, and apologetics and knowing what you believe. Is that, import, is that important? To be able to answer people's objections, amen? And defend the faith? That's important. But um, is that what all of devotions is? Some people say it's just a, a good feeling. I just want to go to God and just go to him in the morning and just, just get up and just feel so good after I get out. I just want to have this good feeling. It's just good, oh, man, I just, ah, in the Holy Ghost. Is it just a good feeling? No. Clock in with Jesus. Just clock in and clock out. Taj talked about that. How you, you know, just come in and put the time card in. Oh, I'm done with the devotions. Now I'm, I'm going to leave. I have my hour in and go and live the way you want to live. Chain to a time, or just community service, you know what, or, or, or just, you know, just restitution. You know, I know I've done all these things wrong, I've, I've all, done all these bad things, I, I've sinned, I've, I've not, you know, followed God in the right way, so let me put in some time. Let me put in some time. How many, let me ask you an honest question, I'll, and I'll be honest with you. How many of you, when, you, when you've been spending time with God, or what, actually, when you've sinned, and you know you've sinned, and you spend extra time in devotion? Because, oh, I got, I got to get back here. God, I've done something wrong. I got to get back to God and spend an extra hour in prayer, an extra hour in study because of what, have I, what I've done. Is that, is that, is that devotion? I, I've done it before. I'm not going to lie. I have. So what truly is devotion? I, I, I want to know that. What, how should we perceive our devotional life? What is a devotional life? And you gave a lot of good answers. Amen? There are a lot of good answers here. And I believe that, that there are, a lot of them were correct as well. And... What I believe is this, is that devotional life, our, our, our devotional life, when someone asks you, what is your devotional life all about? It's not about your devotional life. It's about living a life of devotion. Devotional life is not just a devotional life where I spend time with God in the morning or spend communion with Him or, or even just pray or even just, or even just study or even just share. A devotional life is not a devotional life, but a life of devotion. A continual day by day, moment by moment, once you come out of the room, once you come out of this, your, the, your Bible study and prayer, you should be living, or, or your devotional life, your time with God in the morning, should cause you to be living a life of devotion. Amen? That's true devotional life. Living a life of devotion. What's the, what's the theme of this UIC? No turning back. Living a life of devoted committedness, a passion for God, like my, my brother said over there. So my question is this. How or what will cause me to live a life of devotion? What will cause me to give my whole life in dedication to God? What will cause me to change this world? I believe we shouldn't be here today, Amen. I believe Christ should have come a long time ago, but I'm, I'm glad he hasn't, amen? I'm, I'm, praise God I'm here. I wouldn't have existence if he hadn't come. But I believe that Christ desires to come. He wants to come. He wants to see devotion in his people. But why hasn't it happened? What will cause us to live a life of devotion? What will cause us to do it? 
Let's do a case study, amen? We're going to go to the Word of God to find the answer, amen? If we have questions, we can find answers where? In the Bible, amen? Let's do a case study. So if, you had to, if I had to ask you a question, who in the Bible was one of the most devoted men in the, in the Word of God? Who would you say? Throw out some names. Enoch. Jesus. Who else? Paul. Who else? Daniel. Devoted folk. Devoted to God. David. Ooh, amen. I love David. Joseph. We're going to look today at one of the most devoted that I've, I think I've seen in the Word of God. And that's the life of Paul. Amen? A life of devotion. Now, let's quickly see. Let's quickly look into the Word of God and see if he really was living for God. Are you ready to go to the Word of God? Amen? Let's turn to the, let's turn to Scripture. Let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter uh, 13. And we're going we're gonna to look quickly through the experience of Paul and see if he, if he really lived a life of devotion. Was he really devotional to God? Did he live a life of devotion? Let's check it out and see. Acts. Acts chapter 13. So we see here that this is pretty much, um, after Paul's conversion, this is pretty much the, 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 last, the, the, the next time we see Paul in Acts. And we see him here in Antioch. And he's preaching the gospel, preaching a powerful, powerful sermon. Um, many of you who have given Bible studies on the Sabbath, you'll remember this chapter, right? Because it mentions that he, they came back, you know, the next Sabbath to hear the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. So he preached a powerful sermon, preaching the word of God. He's given his life to God. He's doing powerful things. And, and basically what we see here is that in verse 50, the Jews get mad. The Jews get angry. And what does it say in verse 50? Let's go, let's go to verse 50. It says, But the Jews stirred up the devout, prominent women and the chief men of the city. Raised up what? Persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And did what? Expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. So it's like, okay, you know what? Persecution comes. That's all right. We've been preaching the gospel here. We did a, you know, we did a work. Now we're going to leave. We're going to go to Iconium. They were persecuted with violence, or they were were persecuted and they were expelled. So they go to the next city, Iconium. Now they they go and they begin to preach the gospel there, and and the the people are divided, the Bible says in verse 3. Look at verse 4, what happens in verse 4. But the multitude of the Jews, or or the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when, what? Violent attempts were made by both the uh, Gentiles and Greeks with their rulers to abuse and to what? Stone them. So you see that, that Paul came in here and preached the gospel, and he, and he gets persecuted, and he's, and I, let me just off, the, uh, off my feet and go to the next city. And he comes to Iconium, and they persecute him, even to violence and to stoning. It's like, hey, I'm just going to go to the next city. What, it says that after in verse 6, that he, they, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby and uh, Lyconia and to the surrounding regions. And they were preaching the gospel where? There. The gospel was in Paul's heart, Amen. No matter where he went, no matter how much he got persecuted or cast down, he was always preaching the gospel. So he goes to another city. Now we're going to look at uh, verse chapter 14. Chapter 14, and we're going to see what happens here. So he's, he's moving on, he's preaching the gospel, continuing on. And um, here in this city, he has amazing success. He heals someone, and guess what happens? He heals this man, and what, what happens? Y'all remember the story? They want to, they call him Zeus and these gods, and we want to we sacrifice to you, and, 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 and you're, you're holy, you're gods. But they say, no, we're not gods, don't do this, don't do this, please. And then what happens after that? Whew, it's crazy. Look at it. Verse 14, I mean chapter 14, and verse 
and verse, uh, let's see, but when, yeah, verse 15. And saying, men, why are you doing, oh, no, verse Yeah, verse 19. There it is, verse 19. So they've they, they preached to him. I mean, they, they, they've been trying to sacrifice to him. And then verse 19 says, Then Jews from where? And where? Came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they did what? Stone Paul. Listen to this. Now, where had Paul just came from? Do you remember? The first place was where? Antioch. The second place was where? Iconium. So these people are so mad at Paul, so angry at Paul, that they follow him and they get more people together with them and they're going to say, we need to kill this brother. We have to kill him. And what do they do? They stoned Paul and dragged him out to the city, supposing what? That he was dead. Persecution to the high point of they thought he was dead. Now, I live out in the country and I've seen Rokio, beloved. And it is not pretty. And occasionally a deer will get hit by, by a car, and, and, you, and they're mangled and all torn up, but you, you can tell they're still living, they're, like, you know, they're, they're still alive. And they're just messed up. And then another car will come down the road and just take them out. But imagine, imagine Paul at the point of death. Imagine how messed up he must have been. They thought he was dead. Look what it says in the next verse. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. He did what? Did you see that? Where, where did he? What? He was dead, and now he's going up and he's going to the city? And what is he going to do when he gets to the city? Verse 21. And when he had what? Preached the gospel in that city. Paul was at the point of death. He, the, the disciples go around him and have a season of prayer. He rises up and goes and preaches in the next city. Amazing, amen? The devotion of Paul. Beloved, he was persecuted. We're going to have outreach on Sabbath. And some of us are going to run and turn around when someone slams the door in our face. Some of us are going to be scared, say, oh, I, I don't want to go to the door because I don't know what to say. And when someone says a, a mean word to you, you might, oh, man, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Look at Paul. Dedication, devotion to the point of almost death. Beloved, why, I mean, I have a hard time grasping why we do not see these things happening in our day to day. Why is it that we don't have this devotion in our lives today? We think we know Jesus, like Thomas was saying. We think we understand Christ. We think we understand, you know, what devotion really is. But if you look at the lives of these individuals, they turned the world upside down. Where are we? What are we doing? Why is it that we cannot have the same experience? So my, my question is, my question is, if Paul was so devoted, to go to the point of death. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, read the last 10 verses of that chapter. This is, this, was, this is little compared to all that Paul endured in his lifetime. Go and read it. I, I can't read it right now. Go and read it. Go and read it when you get back. Five times whips with 40 lashes minus one. Impales of shipwreck. Impales of all these things. He was devoted to God. Why is it that we are not seeing this in our lives today? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Are we ever going to get this work finished? In Spirit of Prophecy, she says that we need, we need the Holy Spirit ten times more than they needed it when they, in those days. Ten times more. Where are we today? What drove Paul to live a life of devotion? What was it? What caused him to be so devotional to God? Because if I can, I, I wouldn't, how many of you want to live a life like, like Paul in? 
Amen? I mean, family, I mean, this is an amazing life. I want to live that life, but I, 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 I can't live that life until I know what motivated Paul, what drove Paul, what gave him that devotion, what, what spurred him on. I cannot do what he did until I know what he knew. What did he know? I cannot do or say what he said unless I, unless I, I, I see what he saw. What did he see? Go to Acts 9. You're in Acts 14, go to Acts 9. What caused Paul to have this devotion? Because I want it. How, how about you, amen? amen? I want it, beloved. I want to see these things happen. I'm not, this is a message for me, beloved. Amen? This is not just preaching to, to y'all saying y'all need to get right. I need to get right. I need to see these things happen in my own life. I'm searching just like you, searching for the word of God to how we can have this powerful devotional life. Not, a, not just a devotional life, but a what? A life of devotion. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now get this cat. Get this dude. This dude Paul is crazy, family. He's crazy. What, what does the Bible say right there in, in, the, in the first chapter, the first verse? Now Saul was still doing what? He was breathing what? Now, <laughs> breathing is something that you do unconsciously. Isn't, isn't that true? You breathe without thinking. When you're waking, when you're, when you're awake, when you're asleep, you're always what? Breathing. So Paul... I can imagine, this guy, all that's on this guy's mind is killing the followers of Christ. When he's awake, he's thinking about it. When he's dreaming, he's dreaming about killing and putting these people in prison and taking them out. That's all that's on Paul's mind. Now, what's God going to do with that, with that brother? We might look at him and say, oh, he's hopeless. But what's God going to do with him? Verse 2. And ask letters of him and of the synagogue of, of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to where? Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, what happened? A light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so the Lord instructs him. And we know similarly what happened in that story. But what happened? He was going, breathing out threats, breathing out slaughters. No one could stop him. He was getting letters from the Jews saying, you can go into any house, pull out the Jews, captivate them, murder them, whatever. But now suddenly there's a change. What happened? He saw the light of Christ Jesus. He saw the light of Christ Jesus. And the first words out of his mouth were, who are you? And then, what do you want me to do? See, the key, we're going to be talking about this on the last, the last day, of that, that, those, those, those words right there. What will you have me to do? Surrender. That's the, last, that's the last one. Come back for that one as well. But we see here that the light of Christ transformed him. And that surrender transformed him as well. Because every time that Paul got in a tight spot, every time that he was sharing why he did what he, what he did, he went back to this. If you remember when he was sharing, let's go, let's go back. Let's go to Acts 22. What does he share there in Acts 22? Please go there to Acts 22. Beloved, this is powerful. 
This is the word of God, beloved. This is not me. Let's look at Acts 22. Acts 22. What does it say here? Verse 6. Acts 22, verse 6. When you get there, say amen. The Bible says there. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a great, what? A great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And then, if you skip down to verse 10, so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And he said to me, arise and go to Damascus, and it will be told all these things which you are appointed for you to do. Once again, we see that what he's telling his story, explaining why he's doing what he's doing, when he's in captivity, he says, this is why. This is why I saw a light from heaven. And this person spoke to me, and he told me that I was persecuting him. Beloved, I've persecuted Christ too much, amen? He told me that I was persecuting him, and I said, I have to follow you. I have to serve you. I'm sorry, Lord. What, can, what do you want me to do? On reserved service. He was blinded. And if you look at Acts of the Apostles, read the, read the account. It says that that, that, that that vision of Jesus was implanted upon his mind. As he was blinded, all that he could see was that last vision. Christ. For those three days, he was blind. All he could see was Jesus. All he could see was Jesus. He was shown his real spiritual condition. He was given physical blindness to show him his previous spiritual blindness. And he, all he saw was Jesus. That's all he could remember. The last one. When he went to Agrippa. Acts, 20, Acts 28. Acts 28. To the, to the end of his life, beloved, he was sharing his story. Sharing what drove him to live this life of crazy devotion. Acts chapter 28. Acts, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 26. Thank you for correcting me there, brother. Acts 26. He's before the king giving an account of why. Why are you here, Paul? What are you doing here? You could be free. Why are you here? You could be out there, you know, sitting on an island just drinking a, 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 a something. I don't know if they drank back then, back then in those times. Drinking something. Well, why are you here, Paul? Why are you standing before me? Paul answers the question. Verse 14, it says, At midnight, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, in this section, he gives a little bit more detail. I believe Paul had a little bit more experience now. He had a relationship with God, and he he knew what what Christ had called him to do. And he gives us some very pertinent information. Verse 16, the Bible says, but rise. You know, it's, it's interesting how Christ is, amen? You see him saying, Paul, you've been persecuting me. You've been wounding me. You've been hurting me. But you know what? Get up. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to rise you up. Rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared unto you for what? For this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which what? Which you have what? Which you have seen and what? And the things that I will reveal to you. Now, I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught that right there. I don't know if you caught that right there. 
In the, in the first two sections, it said that he saw a light. He saw this vision, and that, that, that changed his life. He surrendered to it. But in this one, he says, I, I've, you, you've seen me. You'll be a witness of what you've seen and what I will continue to show you step by step and reveal to you about who I am. He was devotional to God, not because of just seeing him once, not just because he saw Christ one time, but because he kept on seeing glimpses of Jesus each and every day. Each and every moment of each and every day. And you'd be thinking, well, Wesley, this is simple. All we have to do is look to Jesus. All we have to do is behold Jesus, right? I would say, yes, that's, that's true. But if we are truly beholding Christ like Paul was, we'd be doing what Paul's doing. So something tells me that, that our beholding, what we think of beholding Christ, what we think is really beholding Jesus, is not truly what he was talking about. Because when he saw Christ, when he was revealed to him, he tra- changed his entire existence. Everything changed for him. It didn't matter what no one did to him. No, it didn't matter what no one said to him. He was going out and he was preaching the gospel, living a life of unreserved devotion to God. Because he had seen Jesus. I have not seen Christ like that, but I want to. Amen? Amen. We must see him like this because this is, this is what drove him. This is what motivated him. This is what pushed him to do everything that he did. And if you don't believe what we've seen in the word of God, it's cooperated in the, in the spirit of prophecy. Look at this. Acts of the Apostles, page 247. She says, At the time of his conversion, Paul was inspired with a longing desire to help his fellow men do what? Behold Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of of the living God, mighty to transform and to save. Henceforth, his life was wholly what? Devoted to an effort to portray the love and power of the crucified one. What he has seen, I got to show everyone what I've seen. They got to behold this Jesus of Nazareth. They have to see him because when I saw him, I devoted my life to him. He changed my life. So I got to show others what he is like. I got to show others what he is like. That's what motivated Paul. Look at this next one. His words are as a shout of victory above the war of battle. And this, actually, before I read it further, if you read this section in the Spirit of Prophecy, this is talking about his appearance before Agrippa when he's sharing his testimony. His words are as a shout of victory. Above the roar of battle, he declares the what? The cause to which he has devoted his life. To be the only cause that can never fail. Though he may perish, the gospel will not perish. God lives and his trust and his truth will triumph. Many who uh, that day looked upon him saw the face, saw his face as it had been the face of what? An angel. Paul knew something, beloved. He saw God in a special, peculiar way that I believe we, as the Adventist remnant church of the last days, must see him before we go home. We got to. It caused him to devote his life. Seeing Christ, beholding him as he truly is. Remember, there's power in what? Perception, beloved. If you read in uh, in the uh, Mount of Blessings, page 107, she says that if we would correctly perceive Christ, all of selfishness would be renounced. Look it up. If we could correctly perceive the love of God, all selfishness would be renounced. We must perceive Christ for who he really is, and that will cause us to devote our lives to him. Amen? So I believe that our, our, morning, our morning time with God is not simply just a time to spend with him. It's time to, to, to read scripture or to pray. It's a time when we must, we must beg Christ that we can see him like Paul saw him. 
Because that will cause us to not only have a devotional life, but live a life of devotion. That will cause us to do it. Beloved, this is the work that Christ does. Oftentimes, we think of devotion as what we do. Isn't that true? We get up in the morning and spend time with God. We read the Bible, we pray, we meditate. And those things are of vital importance, amen? But more than that, what drives us to get up in the morning? What drives us to wake up and, 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 and to awake? I remember times when I would try and get up. I said, Lord, i got to get up early in the morning and pray and have devotion and spend time with you. I'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Get next to my bed. I'll get on my knees and I'll, I'll start praying. Praying. Next thing you know, my head's like this. I wake up. There's a pool of drool right here. Look at the clock, and it's 6.30 in the morning. Two hours gone by. I wasn't motivated, beloved. How many of you been there before? You don't, you don't got to admit if you don't want to. <laughs> but we've been there before. What will cause us to have devotion? If we, if we rely upon ourselves, we'll end up like that. If we trust ourselves to say, hey, i got to motivate myself and get up and put my alarm on and, and, and just read and read and read and, 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 and spend time with God. But what will really give us devotion? Look at this. Oh, how much time do I have? I got some more power. Oh, some more powerful stuff. We got to hit this, beloved. This is about Paul. We got to hit this real quick. Go to Philippians. Hmm? 12, okay. Philippians chapter, chapter 3. We have to hit this, man. Because this is more of why Paul, oh, Paul is so powerful. I mean, not, Paul's not powerful, amen? The Lord is powerful. <laughs> Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Okay, Philippians 3, verse 12. Now, he's explaining his life. Oh, look at, look at this carefully. It says, not that I have already what? Attained. Or am already what? Perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ, Jesus, has also what? Laid hold of me. So whatever Christ hold, held on to, Christ has, has laid hold of this for me. So I'm going to go and lay hold on it as well. Now, my question to you is this. What is in the hand of Jesus? What is he laying hold of? What is he holding on to? What motivated Paul? Go to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. What's in Christ's hand? Isaiah 49. Verse 15 and 16. What's in the hand, what's in the hand of, of, our, of, our, of our Savior? Verse 15 says, are we there, Amen. I want you all to see this. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her what? Nursing child. And, have, and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, but I will what? I will not forget thee. Why? See, I have inscribed them on the what? On the palms of my hand. I don't know if y'all got that, family. Paul... Jesus says, I have inscribed you on the, on, on, the, on the palms of my hand. I've laid hold of you. And because I've laid hold of you, you now lay hold of me and of others. Because of what I've done for you, I, I have the, the nail prints in the hands. I've held you with my hands. I've laid hold of you. Will you not lay hold of me? Jesus binds them to our, 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 himself. Jesus draws us. We are bound by his devotion. What he did, on the cross, that, that binds us. Look at this. Education, page 80. 
looking upon them with hope, he inspires hope. Talking about Christ. Meeting them with confidence, he inspires trust. Revealing in himself man's true ideal, he awakens for its attainment both desire and faith. In his presence, souls despised and fallen realize that they still were men. And they long to prove themselves worthy of his regard. Look what it says next. Same quote. Christ did what? Bound them to his heart by ties of love and devotion. You see, beloved, it's not so much our devotion to God. Yes, it's important. Yes, we must spend time with God. Yes, we must pray. Yes, we must meditate. But what is the foundation? Jesus' devotion to us. He has inscribed us in the palms of his hand. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand what Christ has done for you personally, individually, you will never have a powerful devotional life. It won't happen. It'll be you doing it yourself. We must understand what Christ has done for us more clearly. Like Paul, how he devoted his life. Paul, I mean, what Christ did first and then see what we can do. It was by him revealing himself. Amen? Who, 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 who starts that? Christ does. He's the motivation. He initiates the contact. Amen? The Lord is powerful. Now, how does this tie in to the last days? How does, how does this tie in to the, the times that we are living in? Does it? What do, you, what do y'all think? Let me get an opinion poll. <laughs> no. It, 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 must, it must affect the last days as well. We're going to go back to that. The Elijah message. Now, this is our message, amen? We're living in the last great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. Let's go to Malachi real quick. Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. We got to preach the Elijah message, beloved. That's the, the message for these last days. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. When you get there, say amen. The Bible says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. <clears throat> so we see here that, that the, the Elijah's message would, would come into play when? When would it happen? Right before who comes? Jesus, right before Christ comes. So therefore, this Elijah message will take place and, and we have to proclaim it. We will find it in the spirit of prophecy. But who, who, who followed that message of Elijah just shortly after that? We're in Malachi. Where do we see the Elijah message again? John the Baptist. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 17, real quick, as we, as we bring this to a close. Luke, 7, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 17. So we see that this, this Elijah message must be preached before the end of time. It must be proclaimed. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. When you get there, say Amen. Now, we know this is speaking about John the Baptist because of verse 13, and you can read the context. But we're just going to read verse 17. The Bible says, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make them ready, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we see here that, 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 that John had a mission. He was to proclaim the Elijah message. And do you remember what, what, when, when, when John was question why who are you in john chapter one do you remember what he what he responded the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord right he understood his identity according to prophecy 
He had read the scripture. He had, had, had understood the word of God, and he understood his identity in the light of Bible prophecy. And in the same in our day, we must understand our mission, our identity in the light of what? Prophecy. Now, what did that prophecy say that, that John was talking about? This is our last scripture. What, what was it talking about? Where did that come from? Isaiah what? Isaiah 40. Let's go to Isaiah 40. This prophecy that John the Baptist was fulfilling is found in John chapter 40. I mean, yeah, y'all, y'all know what I was talking about. Amen. <laughs> Isaiah 40. This is where Paul, I mean, this is where John got his mission. Excuse me. The Lord is good, amen? I'm not. Isaiah 40 and verse 3. When we all get there, say amen. The Bible says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert, make, make, make straight in the desert a highway for our, our God. Every valley shall be what? Exalted, and every mountain shall be what? Brought low. The crooked places shall be straight, and the rough places what? Smooth. The glory of the Lord, verse 5, shall be what? Revealed, and all flesh shall what? See it together. Now, I don't know if this is clicking in your mind, but when I saw this, I was like, wait, why would, why would the, the valleys be exalted and the mountains be brought low? Who, who are they preparing the way for? For Jesus. Now, what, what drove Paul? What motivated Paul? Is what he, what he what? What he saw. Now, what is John the Baptist doing? Or what is this prophecy saying? You're making a way, so what? Verse 5, look what it says. The glory of the Lord shall be what? Revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The message of Elijah, the message of John, was to, to all practical purposes so that we could see the character and the love of God. That was their mission. Look what it says here in verse 9. O Zion, who brings what? What's the good tidings? The gospel, the, the, the good news. Who brings good tidings? Get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, what? Behold your God. That was the message given to John the Baptist. Well, say, prepare the way so that people can see me. We're not seeing Jesus. The Jews were not seeing Christ. They were living t- terrible lives. They had terrible misconceptions in their minds. So she said to John the Baptist, take away these misconceptions. Prepare the way so they can see me clearly. Live a life of, the, of devotion. See me first so you can live that life of devotion and, and show others what, what I'm really about. Beloved, this is the last message. We must see Jesus for who he really is in order to live a life of devotion. And as we live this life of devotion, other people will see it, and they'll want to be like us. And guess what? This is what Ellen White calls the last message. The last message. Those who await the bride. How many of you are awaiting the bridegroom? Oh, wait. Hold, hold on. How many of you are awaiting the bridegroom? Amen. Amen. It says those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, what? Behold your God, the last rays of merciful light. The what? The last message of mercy to be given to the world is a what? A revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory in their own life and, and, and character. They are to reveal what the grace of God has done for who? For you individually. 
That's the last message. Yes, we have to understand prophecy. Yes, we must understand Revelation and Daniel. We must understand these things. But the, the last message is a revelation, an appearance, uh, making it plain of who Christ is through our lives. And the way we do that is by seeing him as he is. Devotion is about seeing Jesus and taking that into the world. Now, I want tomorrow... We're going to speak about why sometimes we can't see Jesus. When we get into the word of God and we seem like our eyes are closed, our eyes are blinded, we read the scripture. We read it and try to understand it, but we can't really grasp the meaning of it and it's not changing our lives. We're going to examine why that is and how we can see it more clearly. But beloved, how many of you desire that? You desire not only to have a devotional life, but desire to live a life of devotion. To see Christ more clearly, amen? If that's your desire, I want you to kneel with me as we pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, that you have revealed yourself to us, but our minds are dark, Father. Oftentimes, we cannot understand you because there's too many distractions, too many things in the world that we cannot see you clearly, Father. And I, and I, I believe I'm praying a prayer that, that we all can agree with, that we want to see Jesus, Father. But not only to say it, yeah, we say it all the time, yeah, I want to see Christ, I want to behold Christ. But Lord, until our lives are manifesting the devotion of Paul, we want to see Jesus. Show us what that truly means, Father. We don't long to be here anymore on this wicked earth, Father. We desire to go home, so please, Lord, lead us in the path of righteousness. Lead us in the path of your Son, that we may see you more clearly. I thank you, Lord. I pray for all my friends here that you will bless us as we continue to enjoy and be blessed and be convicted by this GYC experience. May you touch our hearts each and every moment. May this not, may it not stop here, may it not stop at GYC, but may we take this forward throughout our whole lives, Father. Please keep us near the cross. I pray in Jesus' name. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit GYCweb.org or email info at GYCweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you'd like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.